Good morning, Rich Point Church. It is a good morning. There's lots of great things that are happening. I think there's one thing, or there's a lot of things that are, that are beautiful about this idea that we can lift our hands in adoration to our king, but we can also reach out and service the people that he tells us to serve. And this past week, we had a chance to do that in a unique way. And Mike already shared a lot of this, but I just want to reiterate how thankful we were for so many people that partnered with us and being able to make a difference right here in our community. And also not pictured in that picture was a group that worked over in Eloise, just making a difference right here in our own area. Uh, just with, with the resources we had here to be able to go out and be able to paint homes and fix fences and do all the stuff that we did. And then at the end, for the neighbors kind of around the community to kind of see what's happening and, and say, what's this about? You got a whole new home in like one day. But then for us to be able to partner up with that homeowner and to be able to hold hands and, and to pray with her and to be able to say, hey, we're just here to show the love of Jesus in a practical way. There's no strings attached. We're not looking for anything because of this. We want to let you know that Jesus loves you. It's a powerful thing. And it's so awesome we can gather like this together and lift our hands in adoration to the king, but also to reach our hands out in service. It's such a powerfully consistent thing. But for today, we're in the middle of this series called Separate Peace. In fact, this is a week five of seven weeks in this series. And, and I want to know this, before we get started on this, how many of you, maybe early on in, in your lives, maybe you had a first job or a second job that it was just a terrible fit for you? It was like a really awkward job. Did anybody have that job? I had that job. Uh, see, right out of high school, I was one of those guys in high school, I'm like, I need a job, I need a job. And I had a, a lady next door, and, and eventually my job became, I was a short order cook at a, at a Waffle House. Yeah, some people, people either, people are shaking their heads like I can't believe that. People either love Waffle House or they hate it. For some people, as soon as I say scattered, covered, and smothered, they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> they love their Waffle House. And it's like every car trip they take, if they're going out of state, at some point we got to stop, stop at a Waffle House. For other people, they're like, no way, I'd never even go near the place. Well, growing up, I'd never even gone to a Waffle House. But I was in high school, I was just getting ready to graduate high school. And I had a neighbor, I didn't even know she worked at Waffle House. She'd been working for Waffle House for years. And I was talking, and we had a big neighborhood gathering, and I'm talking, I'm like, man, I'm really trying to find a job. And she said, do you, do you absolutely, do you really want a job? And I said, yeah, I want a job. She's like, no, you don't understand. Do you really want a job? And I said, yeah. She's like, no, no, you, you, I, I got to make sure you understand this. And I said, I want a job. So she said, okay, I'm, I'm going to hook this up. I'm going to make this work out for you. So she goes and talks to management. She comes back and says, I got your job. Right away, there should have been two red flags. First of all, she tells me I was hired as a short order cook. I had never cooked anything in my life. I was like a high school guy who, like, if I made scrambled eggs, that, scrambled eggs, that was, that was a lot of work for me. Uh, but the second thing, I go in, I, I kind of get to meet the manager, and he's filling out all my forms, all, all my paperwork. And he's filling out my W-2 form. He's asking me all my information, spell my name out, Gallowitz, try spelling that one out for someone that doesn't know. And so I, he spells out my name, get my social and all that stuff. And then he asks me a question. He's like, you're from America, right? I said, well, yeah. And so I, I kid you not, he marks on my W-2 form, Native American. I'm like, that's, that's, that's not what that means. And he just kept going on to the next question. I'm like, no, that's not the Caucasian one. That's the one you want to mark. And he, he kept going on to the next question, next question. I'm like, I kept trying to go back and explain, hold on a second. And he never did change it. I'm convinced if there wasn't a government shutdown right now, the IRS would be after me. Like, like I filled out this W-2 form incorrectly, except they would laugh because I only worked for three days. Uh, except the IRS doesn't really laugh at anything, so whatever. But, but I, so I go to work for, for Waffle House, and, and I start working there, and, and they match me up with, I'm, I'm training with one of the cooks each time I'm there, but also as I'm training, they want me to work the same shift as my neighbor, because she'd worked for Waffle House for a long time, and she wanted to coach me on the Waffle House way. I didn't even know that was a thing. 
<laughs> like, what do you got to know to have the Waffle House way? So I'm like, all right, I'll learn the Waffle House way. And so I go in there, and she's kind of training me out whenever we don't have a busy rush. Okay, here's what you got to do when you do this, and here's what you do when you do this. And so I worked the first shift, and it was a lot of work, and I was tired. I'm like, I'm glad that's over. And she says, okay, we've got a day and a half off, but here's the problem. The next shift we have, we're working the graveyard shift from 10 at night to 6 in the morning. Let me explain something. There's some freaky people showing up at Waffle House at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, I, it's pretty much, it's all either travelers that are like knowing Waffle House is open, so they're stopping there on their trip, or the rest of them are all like freaky, crazy people showing up at Waffle House at 2.30 in the morning. Like, dude, go get some sleep. Um, so I'm there the one night I worked the graveyard shift, and, and I, as, as I'm there, I start just kind of getting to know some of the customers that are there because it's not really busy. It kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. And so one of the customers comes in. It's obvious he's kind of a regular at Waffle House. Everybody knew him by name. And it was also obvious to me he'd been drinking quite a bit. Uh, so he just starts engaging in conversation. And every free moment I have, he wants to talk. And he's just talking my ear off for the better part of an hour. Every time I get a break, he'd come over and he'd tell me about his life. And he'd tell me about the guy who typically is the, the late night worker at Waffle House, how he knows everybody. And he's a great guy. And you got to learn from him and all this stuff. And we're having this conversation. And after about an hour, one of the waitresses comes over and she says, oh, he's a regular here. He's, all, he's here all the time. He's a really nice guy. I said, yeah, he seems like it. Uh, you know, he, he won't stop talking at all. And she's like, yeah, he's a great guy, but he just got out of jail. Oh, okay, what for? Uh, attempted murder. <laughs> like, yeah, sounds like a saint. Awesome, great to know him. Uh, she explained the whole story and there was a lot to it. But, but it was one of those situations where I worked there for a couple of days and, and it wasn't a good fit for me. And, and I wasn't the person they were really looking for. They want someone who was ready to go right away and not have to pay someone to be trained and all that. So after just a couple of days, kind of mutual agreement, this, this partnership was not going to go on after that. And so I left Waffle House. I no longer worked for them. And it was, it was good because it wasn't a good fit. Well, sometimes in life, I'm convinced that God brings conflict in our life because something about our life or possibly something about the lives of people we're interacting with is not a good fit and there are a lot of times we want to shy away from conflict and avoid conflict, but often God is trying to use conflict to bring about something better in our life. So we've been talking through this idea of trying to find separate peace. And we've talked from week one about how ultimately the peace we're striving for, the peace we all want in life, is an inner, inner peace and an eternal peace that only comes from Jesus. But once we have that internal peace... Then we try to find pieces in our life. We try to find in these different areas, try to find an external peace. And often that external peace means the avoidance of conflict. But what about those moments where conflict is necessary? What about those moments, whether it's situations that happen to me or whether it's situations that God uses me to affect someone else's life, what about those moments where conflict is necessary? See, this is a big idea. We gotta get this down, but, but I'm convinced that when the direction my life is headed or obstacles that I face, when, when they are not consistent with the path that God has for me, conflict is healthy. Like we have to get that, that sometimes conflict is good. And in fact, if you're part of any organization, if you're part of any family, if you're trying to move forward as an organization, maybe you're in a business world right now and your organization is trying to, to move forward. Well, the more that, that organization gets momentum and it starts to move forward, the decisions start to become bigger and bigger. And the bigger the decisions that happen, the greater the conflict. And for a lot of us, our response to conflict is to say, I don't want anything to do with it. There are a few people who love conflict. They often do conflict wrong. They're the ones who, as soon as they see conflict, they're the first to volunteer and say, I want to take that head on. And they're like a bull in a china shop. They like run into conflict and say, I'm going to take this. And, and in the process, they run people over because they're not concerned about the people around them. 
but just as unhealthy as most of us who say, I want to avoid conflict. Like if I see conflict coming, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And I'm convinced that's just as unhealthy. Because avoiding conflict isn't removing conflict. It's just delaying it. And what could be very simply taken care of right now, because I choose to avoid that conflict later on, what was very simple now, six months from now, or a year from now, that conflict has had time to fester and to grow And the conflict that was really minor has become a huge deal. And when we have to take care of it later on, it's going to cause a lot more bloodshed in the process. And so there has to be a way to say, okay, if in my organization or even in my family, as as my children start to grow up, as they get older, the decisions that they face and the decisions we make as a family become bigger and bigger. When they get in high school and get into college age, trying to figure out where to go to college and what career path to take and, and rules and all these different things, the more progress we have as an organization, the more progress we have as a family, the more potential for conflict there is. So what do I do with conflict? How do I handle that? Well, we're going to break this down. We don't have a lot of time to deal with both these topics, but I want to begin by talking about what about when God brings conflict into my life? Uh, for each one of us this week, you're going to face some sort of conflict. And I think part of our discernment, part of us figuring this thing out, is to figure out, okay, is, is this just like natural stuff that's going on? Or is this a lesson God is trying to prove in my life? Because what I've seen is for most of us, just the way that we're wired, is when things are going really well for us, we're not actually growing a whole lot spiritually. When things are going really well for us, it's easy for us to sing on autopilot and think, I'm just getting by. Things are just okay. And if people came up and asked you, how are things going? Things are going great. Okay, if things are going so great, how are you growing? Well, I, I don't know exactly. But when God brings us through a season where there's difficulty. When God brings us through a season where it's really uncomfortable and there's stuff that we don't want to go through that we're going through, it's those seasons that God has the greatest chance to get hold of our life and to bring change. Change that we all need. Quite a few years ago, I was in a situation at a, at a former church where things were going really well. Like they're going really well, youth minister, I was a youth pastor, and things were going really, really well. And, and listen, I've seen churches that handle conflict really, really well. I've seen churches that handle conflict really, really poorly. And when they handle it poorly, it gets ugly and people get mad at each other. When they handle it well, they can even handle things biblically and try to handle it right. And still people can get hurt in the process. And so there's a balance we strive for to handle things well, but also to speak truth and love. And so I was going through this, this process where the church was actually handling things really, really well. But there was some conflict that had, wrote, had arisen in the church. And it was kind of spilling out into our youth ministry. And I started seeing it affect a couple of people. And, and as a staff member, just giving you a little bit of a snapshot into kind of what the world is like it, being a, a staff member on church, is there are some days you go home, and man, you're so excited. As a youth pastor, there are nights I went home, and I was like, man, they're getting it. Things are going well, so well. This is awesome. And then it could be the next night you go home, and you're in tears saying, they're not getting it at all. Why am I doing this? Like, it just is the, the ups and downs of, of life for all of us. And for me, this is one of those nights where it just seemed like things weren't going really well. And we had a meeting and the leadership was there and we're talking through some of the stuff that was happening. And I started to feel it myself. Just, God, so many good things are happening, but there's a challenge that's here right now. And and this challenge is is really affecting us as a whole. And I went home that night. We left the meeting and it was a discouraging meeting. And I left the meeting and I called my wife on the way home just saying, hey, I'm really struggling with this. This is what happened. Here's what happened. Talk through the whole thing. And I get home and I'm just kind of broken. It was one of those nights and, and we all have those nights where we're broken we feel a little bit down, and we're just trying to get through. Well, it was a Thursday night, and typically on Fridays at most churches, Fridays is staff members' day off, getting ready for the weekend and all of that. So most of the time I had Friday off, but this particular Friday, 
I, I was going in, I was going to be doing, a, I was teaching at one of the local schools for like a career day type thing. And so I, I had, I'd come in to gather my stuff together. It was early, it was before 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm gathering all my stuff together, putting it together to go to this other school. And as I walk in, I knew there was a men's Bible study that was meeting on Friday mornings. And I love the guys that were in that group. And so I walked in, I'm collecting my stuff. And there's a couple of guys there that morning. And like, hey, JJ, come over and join us. And I remember I looked at my watch and I had about 15 minutes till I had to leave. And I had all the excuses in the world why I didn't want to go to that Bible study at that moment. I'm like, I got to get my stuff together. I really got to load up my car and get ready to leave. But I just felt God prodding me saying, no, take a moment. Just sit and relax for a second. And so I put my stuff up. I said, you know what, guys, I got, I got 15 minutes. So I came over and there were just a couple of them sitting down. They had no idea what I was going through. They had no idea the situation. They're in the middle of studying the Bible and they stopped and they talked to me for a second. And, and they said, they said, JJ, we want to, we want to go back to the Bible. So they open up the Bible and they're reading in James chapter one. And it said this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I'm sitting there and I'm struggling and I'm going through this trial in my life. And I sit down and I'd read this verse probably a hundred times. But that time as I sat down reading it in this context for the first time going through this trial, I read this and it says, wait a minute, I'm supposed to count it joy when I fall into trials. And I'm reading this and the guys have no idea what I'm going through, but I'm reading this saying this is exactly where I am right now. And God, you're telling me that right in the midst of this situation, I'm supposed to count this situation as a joy in my life? How is that? Well, it's possible because the last part of the, or the second part of the verse, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If we do this thing right, when we go through those difficult seasons of life, God brings us through those trials and on the other side produces in us a strength, produces in us a steadfastness that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't gone through the trial. Now, let me say this before we go any further. There are people who go through trials who never learn from them. It's not that if you go through a trial, you're guaranteed to be stronger on the other side. I see people who go through a trial and all they want to do is complain about the trial. And the next week they have the same trial and they complain about it then. And the next week they have the same trial and they complain about it again. And it's the same thing over and over. They keep having the same trials over and over because they're not learning it, learning from it. They're not growing through it. And they're not looking at the trial that they face as an opportunity for myself to get better. Sometimes God brings conflict in my life because he says the way that I'm headed or the obstacles that I face are not consistent with the path that he has for me. And when that happens, all this conflict is healthy and it's, it's, it's good for us. It's one thing, though, when the conflict is directed at me. Like, I get that. I say, God, I know there are times that I'm off kilter and there's times that you have to get a hold of me. And sometimes you're going to produce conflict in my life to bring me back on track. But what about those times where God says, I want you to be a source of conflict in someone's life? Again, most of us don't like those scenarios. Most of us, when we see something, and maybe there's someone we care about and someone we love, and we see them making some poor choices, and, and we don't want to get involved because I care about this person so much, and, and I don't want to hurt their feelings, I don't want to offend them, so I'm just going to let it go. And what we do is we let that fester. We see a bad decision being made, or, or we see something that's happening, and we just kind of take a hands-off approach and say, I'm just going to kind of let it go and see what happens. And I get that. I think it's done with, with right intent and, and all of that. I think we care about people. We love people. But sometimes love requires us to speak the truth in love. I think as parents, it's a hard lesson for us to learn. I think more so parents that are growing up today more than any, any other culture that I've seen or studied. Parents today are struggling with, there's this, this mindset that the world has right now. 
that we're not supposed to ever tell our children no. That we're supposed to constantly build them up, which I think those are good and healthy things to consider. But there's sometimes we take that too far. And in the process, we don't prepare our children for the real world. We're not giving them the tools and resources they need. About a year and a half ago, I think it was, I saw this movie for the first time. Has anybody seen the movie Parental Guidance with Billy Crystal? A great movie. I'd encourage you to go see it. Take your family to it with it. Uh, in, in, this, in this movie, Billy Crystal and Bette Midler play the grandparents. And Billy Crystal is, Crystal is actually a retired baseball announcer. He just, beginning of the movie, he loses his job. And he was, they were the grandparents that, that the grandkids weren't allowed to hang out with all the time. They saw them just on rare occasions. The other grandkids, grandparents are in all the pictures, and they're not. But through this crazy set of circumstances, these two grandparents are brought in to watch the kids for a week. And, and mom and dad are very protective Mom and dad just believe we're not going to tell our kids no. We're going to try to build them up. We're going to let them be kind of who they are. And they're very, like, they coddling their, their kids and taking care of them, but very hands-off in terms of trying to teach them right from wrong. And, and they never say no and, and all these things. And kind of it comes to a head in this scene that we're about to see from the movie. In this scene, uh, the son has actually been beaten up by a bully uh, early on in the movie. And now they're coming back, and they're at a baseball game. And the son is about to pitch, and the bully's coming to bat. And so that's a scene going to the this clip right here. Batter up. Oh, this is that bully kid. Not even. I would so like to see Turner strike him out. Strike. Strike one. Hey, he is really good. Yeah. He's really good. Way to go, Turner. Swing and a miss. Strike two. Woo-hoo. Here's the pitch. Strike three, you're out of there. <laughs> Turner, way to look. Oh, whoa, oh, oh. whoa, blue, blue. That's three strikes. One, two, three. Out of there. Tom. It's okay. This is my dad, and he's new here. Oh, okay. Uh, there are no outs in this game. No outs? How is that possible? They hit until they get on base. <clears throat> Seriously? Seriously. Let me ask you something. I mean, how do you even know who's winning? In this league, we don't keep score. Every game ends in a tie. The old guy's right. It's boring. You were out. Well, I'm not. Oh, yeah. Turner, you struck him out. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You're out. I'm not. You're out. No, I'm not. Three strikes, you're out. You're out. No. Oh. Well, it's not boring anymore. Man, uh, it, it, we laugh, and it's a humorous clip, and yet there's something that, and really I'd encourage you to go see the movie. It's a great movie. Uh, but there's, there's something so telling about kind of the way we're going as a culture that when we try to correct and we try to discipline, whether it's our children or whether it's people that we care about, when we enter into a, a situation that is not the best, it's so easy to come across as, as being mean or, or judgmental, and, and, and we try to shy away from those things. But I want us to look at the scripture real quick. And, and Jesus is, is in this teaching. It's in the book of Matthew. And he's in this teaching talking about just, just what the people uh, in his day and age, what they're dealing with. And we have to understand this because the words that he, we're about to read are, you know, when we read it, it seems like, whoa, isn't that a little bit extreme? Understand the culture of, of that day. They didn't have 2,000 years of context to understand who Jesus is. And so Jesus is coming as a rabbi, as a teacher, and he's coming, he's calling people out of the lives they're living, saying, come follow me, and we're going to go set the world on fire. But a lot of the families that were not right there, that didn't know Jesus and didn't know anything about him, had no clue who Jesus actually was. And so when Jesus is calling them away from the parents, the parents are probably looking at them saying, you guys are crazy. We have no idea who this is. This could be some crackpot down the road. Why are you giving up everything and going to follow him? 
And so right in the middle of that, Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus comes and he has this this really what looks like on the outside as an extreme teaching. Most of us are not going to deal with this level of persecution because we choose to follow Jesus. I've seen a couple of people in in a setting in in our area who, because they follow Jesus, their parents disown them, excommunicate them from the family. But that's really rare. For most of us, it is that we have this high calling as those who are trying to follow Jesus. As we try to follow Jesus and we have a calling and there's a standard we're trying to live up to. And as we see people we care about and we try to challenge them in specific areas, they don't particularly care for that. And so what we do is, is we try to challenge people, we try to encourage people and, and kind of shy away from it because we're afraid of offending them. When in reality, if I'm honest, God uses conflict in my life to bring about change and steadfastness in my life. And as I'm consistent walking with him, he can use me and he can use you to be a source of conflict in someone else's life in order to produce in their life a steadfastness, in order to produce in, in their life some strength, some spiritual maturity. And we don't like that at first, and it's really, really, really awkward for some of us, and, and we t- try to shy away from it. But just because we avoid the conflict doesn't remove the conflict. It's still there. And so sometimes it means we have to step up. Sometimes it means we have to use words to challenge people and to encourage people. However, as we do that, there's, there's a couple of words to, to the wise. As we do that, be very, very careful to consider, is the outcome of this situation worth the conflict it's going to cause? This is not going to bat and saying, okay, we're really upset about this. We're upset because I've seen this happen in settings, maybe in a church where they get upset about the colors of the carpet in the sanctuary, and they fight about that. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have carpet in most of the sanctuary. But, but there's some churches that get upset about small things. Or maybe we get together, a bunch of friends, we're going to go out to eat. We fight about where we're going out to eat. Or we fight about trivial things like uh, college football. Uh, I'm glad Michael Matthews didn't make a joke about LSU because that would have gone really, really badly today. But we fight about all these things. We, we kind of pick our battles based upon things that don't matter. Ask the question, is the potential outcome worth the conflict it's going to cause? This is when these are big deals. When I know, God, this isn't something I'm just doing because it's my, what I prefer. God, this is something you've called me to do, and I have to be consistent in speaking your truth in love. When we do this, be careful to do that. Be careful to speak the truth in love. Realize that the goal we have in any conflict is for there to be resolution. And it's not for us. And, and, and in our church, we try to be a church on church. People love to attend and invite people that don't typically want to go to church. And, and so as, as we have these discussions, there might be people who disagree with us. And I, and I see people do this. They stand on street corners and they point their fingers and, and they, they say Did all, all these different things. And they're mean about their presentation. Listen, there's sometimes the message we have is offensive to people we talk to. It doesn't mean we have to be offensive in the, present, in, in the presentation of that message. And there are people that stand on the street corner and point their fingers and they yell. And then the world looks back and the world rebukes them for the way they handle things. And they, they point their finger and say, see, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, You're, because they rejected him, they're going to reject me. And because I'm taking a stand for Christ, the world hates me. And I want to say, no, the world is hating you because you're being a jerk. 
It just happens to be that you're a jerk that has Jesus on, on, on your side. And, and having Jesus on your side doesn't give you like a get-out-of-jerk-free card. It doesn't give us a right to be offensive in the presentation. Listen, we have a stance to take. We can't shy away from the conflict. If God calls us and says he wants to use us to bring about conflict in someone's life, then by all means, be the one that stands up and brings about that conflict. But know that as you, as you do that, the goal is always reconciliation. The goal is always to say, I'm coming to this situation because I care about you so much. I want to I get us right, or I want to get your relationship with God right, or whatever it is, wherever the conflict is, but that I'm coming to you because I care about you. And I'm not mad, I'm not upset. In fact, as much as is possible, it's, it's my goal, it's my responsibility to live peaceably with everybody. Now, if God brings conflict in our life, it's, it's for a reason. If right now you're going through conflict, the takeaway for this week is to figure out, okay, God, what are you trying to prove in my life? What do you, why is this conflict here? When we have conflict, we can either complain about it and live through it again and again, or we can deal with it and say, God, I know you're trying to produce something in my life. Help me to figure out what that is. And if God is using you as a source of conflict, first of all, make sure you've done everything you can to live peacefully with that person, to figure it out. And if God, through all that, if you've prayed it through and you say, I feel like I'm supposed to be a, a vocal uh, source of conflict in someone's life, after you prayed it through, after you've sought godly counsel, then you go and you say, with love, I, we need to talk about this. We need to deal with this. Avoiding the conflict won't make it go away, so it's better to deal with that now. Whether it's conflict that we're facing internally ourselves or whether it's God using us as a source of conflict in someone's life, to realize conflict in our life can produce a strength in faith. Let's pray.